Hey, I'm Ruben from Dub. Welcome to Connection Loop, our actionable podcast about building businesses with daily human connections. Connection Loop features long form interviews with fascinating people in sales, marketing, and beyond. Enjoy today's episode and learn more about Dub at dub.com. And we are live. Hey guys, this is Ruben from Dub's podcast, Connection Loop. And I'm on with Lila Smith. So Lila and I just got into this conversation about communication, email, and how to make things work and how to just do it in sort of a a better way, um, ultimately that drives growth and revenue and brand lift. Um, Lila, you have some really interesting experience. I would love to learn about your take on this. Yeah, well, I, you know, like a lot of people know about me because I talk about it all the time now, which I didn't used to, but now that I, now that I do, I talk about my theater experience all the time. People know me as a former actress, but then they don't know that I used to run an e-commerce department and that was the last job job that I had before going full-time with Say Things Better for myself, doing communication training workshops. And I was the person in charge of all of the moving pieces of the department, but I worked really closely with marketing and with our email campaigns and creative direction. And the reason why I think I was a little different in that role than some other people were, is that my acting training prepared me to be a really good listener. So asking the right questions, like, are people opening our emails? You know, what are they doing? What are the, what is their behavior telling us? Listening the same way that I would listen to other characters on stage, even when they weren't saying anything. Mm-hmm. That that user behavior can tell us a lot about what people like about us, you know, what's resonating that we're offering in our communication. So this is almost like you're talking about real like social cues and, you know, mm-hmm. this kind of synchronous two way understanding what your, your audience is feeling. Um, that's that's a really interesting uh, connection. How is it that we can do that better in a digital way? Well, when we think about our communication transferring and communicating, you know, from this is who I am to that's where you are regardless of whether it's digital or I'm up on stage and then communicating to someone in an audience, there's also a distance and we have to close that distance in just no matter where we are. There's always a distance between person here and person over there, you know, my context versus your context. It's always gonna be the same framework. You always want to ask yourself, am I receiving feedback right now? Is this person telling me something that I can use to take better care of them or to be more clear? So the same principles apply for interpersonal communication as digital communication and recognizing that and taking accountability for it is the first step. One of the things that I help people to do is like identify, this is what I mean to make people feel when I communicate. So then we can ask them, well, are you doing that? If you, if you mean to make people laugh, if you mean to make them feel comfortable, Are you doing that in your digital communication or is it only when you're in person that you get to be your full self? Often people like will cut one piece of their personality out in a digital forum and I kind of call them out on that. Well, I think what what we're really talking about here is this idea of conversational video even sometimes because- Yeah. Right, because that's the easiest and sometimes the first way to get data, to get a response back, to uh, to start a convo really. And actually, this was a this was a term that um, Violet Rainwater, who was also on this on this show, 
Uh, Violet is, is, is an incredible speaker and leader and strategist, and she started to explore this idea of conversational video. And I think we're seeing a lot more of it, you know, especially on LinkedIn, where you and I connected, um, yeah. where it's this idea of, you know, we're a voice, we're a brand, we have our thoughts, we're putting it out there, and then we're starting a conversation. And, and I think that's the beginning of of a following, really. And that can parlay into LinkedIn, that can go to email. Any platform, so, yeah. So many different channels, yeah. So what has been your experience with this idea of having this kind of like two-way conversational? Video gives people more information than just the written word. Video shows people your facial expressions. It shows what you're lit up about or what you're angry about. You know, you can see people's expressions. Our faces move, giving billions of tiny little data points to the people who are listening and watching us at the same time. If we don't take advantage of that medium, it's like we're saying, we only want you to have maybe 11% of our communication. We want you to understand the information of our value, but not necessarily the feeling of what it is to come from us. You can read tips on how to do really good email marketing by Googling something. There's a reason you're watching this video. There's a reason, the reason that you're watching me talking to Ruben, right? If you're here and you're like, oh, email, but Lila's talking about it. She's the one who talks about say things better. She's that girl who was an actress. What's that gonna be about? They only know those other things about me. They only have that context if they even do because I've done video, because I've let people in and I've shown them more of myself than just, hey, I can get you 3000 email subscribers when you had none, you know, like who are organic or exactly your, your customer. Um, so claim so many other people on the internet. They're watching this video because we've already connected. Mm -hmm. Two-way conversations like you and I are having right now, like I can see you almost like you're, you're here in the room with me. And yeah. we have that, you know, all of those communication data points that you get from video. It makes our connection stronger than just reading what someone wrote. Those are just words. The rest of it is really where the magic happens. Yeah, I, I love how you put that. I mean, when I think about, I think about this idea of, uh, you know, creating a following where people are looking forward to getting something from you. You know, when we yeah. think about email yeah. marketing, a lot of the times we think about just, hey, put this in the promo folder, delete it, archive it. I don't want to see it, right? So this idea yeah. of actually looking forward to getting an email saying, I'm going to learn from that. I'm going to be delighted. It's going to be entertaining. That's or really hard to me. do. Mm -hmm. That's probably, I think one out of every thousand marketers can actually pull that off <laughs> where people I delete look forward. most email yeah. myself, yeah. you know, and I unsubscribe from things all the time. I really need my inbox to stay clear. It's cluttered enough as it is just because I take on so much. So my inbox is this sacred place. Yeah. And I don't want anything in my promotions folder. So if I don't feel like something warrants being featured, being something I really want, then I want them out. I'll unsubscribe. Yeah. I look forward to emails from uh, Blake Bins of Good Advice Consulting and the Good Advice Podcast. I look forward to his emails because they share these stories that I can relate to, either because I've been through them myself or I know another business owner who could who could relate. So I really enjoy getting his emails. And every time I get one, I open it because it's like getting an email from Blake. 
but he and I also connected, you know, more like this um, live on video. And that happened first before I became a subscriber of his. And I think mm -hmm. that because I hear his voice, because I know his face, because I know what it feels like to have this time with him, I can then read his emails in his voice. I can read his emails coming from what I know him to be mm -hmm. because I was exposed to him on video first. So it's it's almost like what you're talking about is this idea of a, a personality, a voice, a narrator, something that you can connect yeah. with on a human level versus yeah. that, that corporate corporate entity, you know, this corporate voice. And I, I feel like that's a little bit of a paradigm shift now that we've yeah, experienced. Yeah, it is. Where, right? And I think it's much easier for solopreneurs or coaches or people, you know, consultants. It, that's an obvious thing to do when they're selling themselves and their own services. Um, but I think for for yeah. for corporate for teams where it's it's a brand, it takes more of an effort. It's a different muscle to be able to say, you know what, let's add the human element on top of the of the brand vibe as well. And that, and that that's actually one of the, I think one of the hardest things to do is to have both things there, coexist. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. is because uh, you're like you're on your company page, and then you've got your employees who have their own pages, and you're like, well, shouldn't the personal voice come from them? But if you even look at um, how that conversation goes between the brand and their internal ambassadors, the people who can go out and share the word about them, look at some of the success stories of how that's working. You and I connected on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a great example. If you look up hashtag LinkedIn life, you'll see some posts by people who work at LinkedIn talking mm -hmm. about their experience. And sometimes LinkedIn will feature those stories on their own company page. One of the things that I think that they do well, that Microsoft mm. does well um, in enfranchising Ramel Mitchell, you know, who's their community engagement director, um, having these people speak on behalf of the company, but also from their own lens, it makes it feel more real. And it makes right. it feel like people aren't being sold to. I think we're mm. so tired and we're so over being sold to about the value of a brand and the tools we don't we might need those tools but we don't go somewhere to hear about them until we need them in the moment that's why google is still like number one for um like i need to learn this now if you need to learn something now you're gonna google it you're gonna say how do i say things better and that's when i'll pop up you know oh that's cool yeah so, but if so I'm doing like consistent voice, consistent marketing, conversations like this one, and mm. content on social media, maybe I can stay top of mind enough for people that when they have a communication challenge, they're like, I don't even need Google. I know exactly who to go to. That's my plan. Okay, that's interesting. So you mentioned a couple of topics that I think are, are also challenging, which is how to sell without selling, how to not be salesy. You know, a lot of the times we find ourselves as marketers, as salespeople to be in this um, survival instinct where our goal is to drive revenue and to lift brand and to get conversions and engagements and whatnot, right? Mm -hmm. So as a result, it parlays and it kind of creeps into our language, into our video content, into our email copy. You know, how do we take a step back from that and, and not be salesy like that? But at the same time, you know, in the long term, be driving our brand. Well, you have account executives, right? Who are usually the people who are in charge of 
going and getting new clients and doing the sales, the outbound, or even like receiving inbound. And then you have account managers, the people who are really in a job to take care of accounts. I think if you take the attitude and content of an account manager and act as if you're already taking care of that brand, you're already mm -hmm. providing value to them. You don't have to sell them on anything. They're already part of your team. They're already a partner or a client. And you use an account-based marketing approach to taking care of those people, you create a very strong magnet. And I mean down to at tagging and using company names. I talk about Gatorade pretty frequently. I think that I can help them with some stuff. I have an idea of who they are and what their voice is. And then, you know, I see their social media content. And I'm like, I feel like they're not talking to me. Mm. And if they're not talking to me, then they're also missing out on an entire market share of people who are constantly going, 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 going. The people that they should want to champion who are doing good work in the world, but maybe aren't performance athletes. I still need to hydrate. You know, I'm still like really tough. I still work, you know, 15, 16 hour days sometimes. Gatorade should be marketing to me. They should be talking about electrolytes and they should be talking about hydration and they should be championing people like me, people in the startup community, people who are entrepreneurs, people who are teachers who spend their own money on art supplies so that their kids in their classroom will have something or who sit in their driveway and read them a story because we're in quarantine. Why isn't Gatorade talking to those champions when they're missing a tremendous amount of market? So when I bring up their brand and I'm doing it again here now, Eventually, someone over at Gatorade is going to be like, all right, Lila, what? What do you have to say? <laughs> How should we say things better so that we can get you to buy more Gatorade? And by you, I mean people like you. Mm. So if they came to me, you know, I wouldn't be surprised because I've been talking about them forever. If you have a service or a product that you think would fit well in a specific business, talk about it. Call them out by name. Tag in people who work at that company. Think about what their issues are. Say, I saw them come up in the news because of whatever problem. Meanwhile, like we have a solution for that problem. Um, talk about things they're doing well. Celebrate how you have shared values and go really deep into the effort. If you really care about nailing a big account, care for them as though they are already your big account and show that care through content. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. When I think about, uh, you know, Gatorade as a company, and I think their kind of evolution process, I, I think that there are some companies that have really evolved into be true lifestyle companies where it's not even about solving a problem. You know, Gatorade was invented for the Gators to be able to hydrate. Right, and exactly. It was, it solved yeah. a need. It solved a, a, a great need. And I feel like now even beverage is a great example for this. Because I feel like when people choose a beverage, it's almost like they're choosing a, a lifestyle and yes. something they can connect to. And Jennifer Anderson knows about this, and that's why she's monetized With the, it. Yeah. yeah, the water, the right. smart water, right? Yeah, you know, I, yeah. I've been on the the quote unquote Lacroix train, as some people call it. Yeah, where, I'm on that train. <laughs> yeah, right. So you know, I was I was just telling someone about that. I said, hey, I've been enjoying Lacroix. And they said, oh, you're on the train. That's cool. And I, and I realized in that moment that it's, it's a, people are connecting to that, not just because it's a beverage and it's, it's basically f slightly flavored carbonated water, but 
there's a connection that you get and a feeling that you get. <laughs> and I feel yeah. like Gatorade, I feel like is, is about to, uh, you know, once they connect with you, when they, once they start working right. with you, they're going to get, they're going to get an unlock and they're going to, you know, 10 X their, their business. So yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. I have a whole campaign already like mapped out. I have it sketched out over the five steps of my method, you know, like what their motivation is. And then like their verb, your values, which is the fifth step is how they make people feel with their communication. I'm just guessing that like their values, how they care to make people feel is they want to fuel, to quench and to champion mm. their communication partner. So if that's true and their communication partner is a performance athlete, then an image of somebody sweating at the finish line with water pouring down their face and landing in a puddle on the track underneath them, that's going to fuel the person who's also like that. I see that picture and I'm like, oh, it's clearly not for me. <laughs> that's not how I get my sweat on, you know, maybe I'll dance it up, you know, to that point. But like, that's not me. If Gatorade wants to reach a different communication partner, if they want to reach people in the startup community, they need to pick champions of, of startups to show. They need to show the champion within, not just that athlete who's still in training and athletes who are really the best are always in training. But show a person who's at the beginning of their startup journey, show something that they go through, show a video campaign of what the, the typical day looks like for that person, adding and deleting slides from pitches, doing the pitch, having the meetings, you see the numbers go up and down, you know, fighting with co-founders or like rallying to make an impact on a community. There are tons of things to celebrate about those people. So Gatorade would have a really easy time creating the actual content to celebrate the champion within every kind of person that exists. Reach those people by showing things that will fuel and champion and quench them, those people. And you'll immediately make more sales because you feel as a customer, I guess Gatorade champions me. And I'm looking at their social media and I'm fueled by the pictures that I see. So what you're talking about really is this kind of emotional connection, you know, this yeah. long-term emotional connection. You know, we we as human beings, we feel such strong emotional connections to our friends, to our family, to causes, uh, to social justice, to whatever it may be. But I think what you're talking about is this connection to a company, a brand, a profit, yeah. a for-profit entity that has some product or service that's selling it. And we've seen some tremendous success stories with this, you know, and where do those come from? Do they come from, is it compassion? Is it empathy? Is it motivation? I mean, I think it's, it's almost a healthy combination of a lot of these types of things, but ultimately it's, it's back to those original ideas of marketing where marketing is about just making us feel something like in a very authentic and legitimate and long-term way. Right. You know? And that's, that's, I think ultimately what drives the loyalty it's thinking about those people and what makes them loyal. So mm. I might be loyal to a brand that makes me feel fueled and motivated. And somebody else might be seeking more comfort, you know, ease. Like if you think of something like Charmin toilet paper, you know, they're communicating with a different voice about different values than what Gatorade is communicating. One wants you to go harder and the other one wants you to go softer. And so <laughs> the way that they make you feel is specific. It's on purpose. It's intentional communication. 
thinking about that end user in mind first. What does that person need to feel in order to choose my brand over someone else's for a similar product? Mm. Well, my, my favorite uh, campaigns lately are the ones where companies actually say and show that through technology, through innovation, that you can use, quote unquote, less of their product because it's more efficient. So this applies to paper towels or toilet paper or cleaning yeah, product yeah. or soap. They're like, use less because, you know, we innovated and we can save on plastic and save on, you know, all this, all these resources, you know, sometimes non right. We want to be the last blank you ever buy. Like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. and, and, and those make me trust a brand. And I think trust is, is the biggest thing. And when that trust gets broken, that that's one of the hardest things to recover from. And we yeah. see those stories with anything safety related, you know, whether it's a food, it's a beverage, you know, there was some sort of a recall of foreign contaminant that was found in it, you know, so I think trust is a, is a really big component of, of all yeah. of this. Trusting that, you know, that the content in an email or the product that you bring home or the stuff that you drink or the stuff that you put on your kids, um, knowing that, uh, you know, it's, it's good, you know? Yeah. You want, I mean, things happen though, right? Like all the time, transparency then has to be your best friend. Like mm -hmm. if you are, I don't know, like I don't want to use a, a brand name for like a negative example, but some fast food chain and you had an, you had an E. coli case with like all of the lettuce that you were using for all of your, you know, or so many people were getting sick. The, the way to earn back that trust is to say, look, this could have happened to anybody, you know, here's the nature of supply chain and, and of our responsibility for testing and for quality. Here's where we messed up and take accountability and then say, here are the steps that we're taking to overcome that. And we'll show you all the way, create a whole landing page on your website. That's just about safety and talk about it. Share weekly stats about your safety and what you're doing to overcome something like that so that you rebuild trust once it's broken. You're not just willing to give up, you know, and fail or grasp at like, oh, please come and like, we'll give you quarter burgers, you know, we'll give you our food for free. Doesn't rebuild trust. Communication mm. does. Right now, free, free food to me. I just, I just go in the other direction. I'm like, oh, no, I'm good. Why is that right. free? What's wrong with it? <laughs> right. I'd rather have a $14 burger than a free one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, really, I'd rather have the $14 burger for free, but like, <laughs> I don't want everybody to get it for free. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's just because you know someone. <laughs> right. Well, right. I mean, that, that, that actually is interesting because there's, there's loyalty and there's like the perks of loyalty. You yeah. know, it's like the, these exclusive, this exclusive access and loyalty programs. And I feel like even a newsletter to stay on our topic is, you know, there's, I keep seeing this idea of a general Facebook group, a general email newsletter. But then I think a lot of companies are doing this VIP, like special group. Like if, if you opt in or if you maybe subscribe or if you pay for something, then you get access to something special and you get the, the perks and you get the. Yeah, I give, um. I give the people on my my email list first access to pretty much anything. Mm. You know, if I'm doing a course and I'm capping it at, you know, it, or like a live thing and I'm capping it at 10 people, you know, I want them to have the first access. Um, right. Also, it's easier for me to be like, well, I know I already like and work with these people. I do have a VIP list, you know, that I'll reach out to first. People who've already paid to work with me, 
will get access, you know, to anything that I do first, because those people are already out there making recommendations and generating business for me, the better that I can take care of them, you know, the more that I want to. Um, also in terms of like engagement and interaction, if I'm looking at my VIP list and, and putting it into something like sales navigator, which I've been considering upgrading to sales navigator on LinkedIn, I haven't yet, um, curious about your thoughts about that. Um, but I'm thinking about taking my VIP list, putting it in sales navigator, and then just making it a priority to engage with those people, go and look at their content and comment on it and support it and see what they're doing so that I can support them. And also so that I can listen for opportunities that people who've already proven themselves to be someone who wants to pay me, like, how can I help those people better now? Look, listening for patterns. Yeah. I like that. That makes sense. Uh, one of the things Anything that we can do, right? Well, I think one of the things that uh, to kind of your earlier point of of capturing that connection, that human moment that we might have to express ourselves, to educate, um, but then putting that into a system like an email campaign, like a mm -hmm. weekly newsletter. You know, I think that that's the future because it's the best of all worlds. You know, where people can kind of consume our content on their own time and not everyone is, you know, kind of scouring the feed on, on LinkedIn. Right. Very curious. Yeah. Right. So the, very curious to get your notes on, you know, this idea of video email, right? So one of the things that we've been innovating on is this idea of capturing video and then sending it on all channels, LinkedIn, you know, SMS, and then of course email. And we've seen a tremendous amount of, of success for marketers that have switched their full text-based content, maybe some images, to to actually sending out a, 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 a an, an, an email with a video. And that just means, obviously, you can't put a video inside of an email. It has to be an animated GIF, and then that links to a landing page. But the idea is that you're driving traffic to a video that has you know calls to action, whether it's buy now or subscribe or fill out a form, book a time and a calendar. Um, but I'm curious to get your notes if you've kind of experimented with um, sending emails with uh, centered around video content. Yeah, I think that there is um, the opportunity to treat it as an upgrade. Uh, you know, that like if you want more information, go watch the video. But you can use a couple of bullet points to tease out the value and the and the video to really expand. Because um, it's it, you make an assumption that somebody wants to give you one to two minutes of their time of really focused listening and paying attention and engaging with the content that you're sharing in a video up front, you have to earn the right to get somebody to watch one of your videos. So there are a few things that I think people can do and should. One of the reasons why I like video is that it's so connective, but you really have to earn the right to have somebody's attention for as long as it takes to watch your video. So the subject line is the first place you wanna look. You know, Are you sharing like, top three secrets for whatever, um, are you expressing your personality in your subject line and testing that to make sure that people even wanna open it? And then getting into the body of the email that has a video in it or embedded or that links away, that you already list the value, including some timestamps. And then if you have a way to preview some things, whether it's through GIFs or GIFs, however people wanna say it, you, know, you can have uh, captions at the bottom too so that it's not just, and I don't just mean in those GIFs, but like in the video itself. I recommend following Meryl Evans on LinkedIn. She's deaf and she's a great advocate for captions and quality captions 
and the value that those can add to your videos. And I like, um, I like Zubtitle for captioning things myself. I find it the most easy. I'm not sure if Dub has a solution for captioning yet. Yeah, we do. You do? Great. So yeah, so if you're already creating on Dub, then how awesome that you have a built-in subtitling and captioning feature. One of the reasons why that's important is that so many people will judge the quality of your video based on what value it's giving them immediately, just in the first couple of seconds. If they can read it quickly, then they understand, okay, you've, you've bought yourself another two or three seconds of me. You've bought yourself 10 seconds. All right, fine, I'll watch the whole video. But being able to visually scan something builds that trust that the whole video will be of value to them. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. I, I think that, you know, that's like empathy 101 of, of just yeah. understanding that people don't always have their sound on, that they're not always watching right. it in an environment or which, hear. or they can hear, you know? And I feel like that's that's really important. But but also to your point, you know, this idea of, that, that kind of com comes back for me to this idea of a contract where, if you are going to be sharing your content, that there's a contract that's set that if I am sharing this content via email or via LinkedIn, that you're going to understand what you're going to get out of this, what value you're going to get out of this, and that you're not going to feel like you were tricked. If the email says, right. you know, if the subject says, here are the three top best secrets for email marketing, and then you don't deliver on those in the body. Right, that better be a, in the email. That better be in there. You earned yourself another click through to anything if you didn't give me that. Exactly. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah, yeah, and and that to me is just a contract that that takes place. It's a nonverbal yeah. contract where if you're gonna if you're gonna present something, that you better deliver on that. And you know where we see this the most is on YouTube videos because a lot of people try to game the system and they say, you know what, we're just gonna we're gonna put a. Uh, title we're going to use a hashtag or keyword that we're going to target and and i've i've been a, i've done this and have foolishly done this thinking that if i put a keyword in um that that's going to drive the traffic but if i didn't go through that process of saying am i really speaking to that keyword then yeah. i am failing as a marketer you know as a communicator right. so i think that's really then important. it's like a bait and switch and then you break yeah. that trust and then they never buy from you and then they're gone and, and you know i think the problem with all, all social channels i don't care what it is is that the algorithms are smart now to know that if people are not engaging with past content, they're probably not going to engage with future content. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, that's also the danger to like putting out content that's not algorithm friendly. You kind of yeah. have to retrain it. Like, hey, no, I promise I am of value. Right. You know, uh, like on any social media platform, I think that external links sometimes get devalued and so therefore not shown to as many people. Because those platforms yeah. don't want you leaving the site. No. So why would they show it to as many people as right. they can? Right. Or if you've shared something that another member already wrote, they've already given that it's airtime, you know? Uh, they don't want redundant content. They want the content on the site to be fresh all the time. So right. shares and links out, which are a lot of what people do, they're good for building relationships and credibility when someone vis visits your site. But if you're not putting the effort into your content to make it fresh, new, engaging, and of value every time and coming from you, one, people don't know what you stand for really because you're only sharing other people's words. Two, right. like people don't have the opportunity to engage with you because you haven't earned their trust yet. So they kind of assume that you don't have anything to say if you're not saying anything.
Right, right, exactly. Well, I, I think what's, what's really interesting now is that when people try to figure out what the algorithm wants and, and will promote content-wise, especially on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. it's, like a, it's like a game that you can never win or, or, or complete because yeah, you're always yeah. like chasing this idea. But I feel like, you know, and, and the other thing is that the harm on our personal Zen of always trying to like achieve that goal and to that get that dopamine this, hit, right? <laughs> you know, and, and I, oh, and I, I feel 15,000 views, right? Right. And I think that what, you know, having gone through that at one point, what now works for me is like, I'm just going to provide the most valuable stuff that I can just put out there in a yeah. way that I find somehow remotely interesting or entertaining, something that I would watch. And then respect people's time. Um, yeah. And it's it's and never a like, perfect science. Right. Well, you have to always be testing things to see what your audience is responding to. What are they listening to? What are they curious enough about to open an email? What are they curious enough about to watch more than more than three seconds of your video? Right. What are they curious enough about to engage on or go comment on other people's comments and have new conversations? That stuff is gold. You want to know what people are really responding to by listening to that kind of behavior. Nice. So where can people connect with you? Connect with me. Uh, well, you can follow me on LinkedIn. I've reached the max number of connections, which is 30,000, which I think seems arbitrary, but that's what it is. So you can follow me on LinkedIn. You can send me an in-mail and let me know um, something about yourself uh, and something about me so that I know it's not just like some random thing. You can say, I heard you with Ruben, you know, even that um, would be enough. I'll respond to your e- your email then so that we have an open dialogue and then you're kind of treated as a connection. Um, you can also find the Say Things Better company page on LinkedIn, go to saythingsbetter.com. And I am on uh, Twitter and Instagram as Lila Lasagna. Another awesome. story for another day. <laughs> Awesome. Well, you know what? Let's let's wrap with the story. Why Lila Lasagna? Oh, I used to make a lot of lasagna for the actors in Much Ado About Nothing in 2008, uh, Connecticut Free Shakespeare. We had a show that had a big cast and my apartment was the party apartment as it often mm. is. And I would have like 20 actors who were hungry after rehearsals with sword fighting and uh, you know, like all, all kinds of things that we were doing that made us exhausted. And at the end of the day, everyone was hungry and in my apartment. So I started making tray after tray of lasagna. And eventually I was making like four lasagnas a night because it was really good and it could feed a lot of people. And it was an easy way for me to share my heart with the people that I cared about, which is, Got you it. know, still important to me. Um, here are a couple of questions for you on lasagna, on the recipe and the making of lasagna. <laughs> Number one is, should we put olive oil when we're boiling the lasagna initially before we bake it? I actually use oven-ready noodles. Um, okay. You know, unless I'm making them from scratch, in which case, no, there should be enough. Um, you shouldn't be putting olive oil. You shouldn't be overcooking the noodles. You shouldn't be making them any kind of different texture than what they are. Your recipe should stand alone. Okay, got it. So oven ready noodles. I think that's the best tip right there. <laughs> Honestly, uh, like they're just as satisfying because the stuff that's in the lasagna should be the top quality stuff. All of the it. spices, all of the flavorings, all of the love, the best meat, you know, the best fresh mozzarella and ricotta, like all of the cheeses, the sauce made from scratch, like that should be the stuff. No- a noodle tastes like a noodle. It's right. not going to be that much better. Right. 
Second question is, um, are you a broiler? Do you, do you get like a two minute broil at the end or? Yeah, I'm a broiler. How did you know that? Uh, you know what? I, I had a funny feeling. So you, yeah. you, you bake it until a certain point and then you, and then you broil it for that last like, get minute that brown, or so. brown, bubbly, crusty, like ooey gooey. Yeah. Uh, final question is when you're broiling, do you ever leave the oven or do you just stand, stay put no. right next to I'm it? I'm obsessive. I watch because there's a very, there's this moment, there's this magical lasagna moment that occurs when you start to see the edges kind of brown um, and get really golden. And then you see the bubbling in the middle and it's right at that moment, it has to come out. Right. Because that will continue. The heat from the lasagna that's already baked will continue. Um, and then you'll get more of that browning stuff on top, but you don't want it to become a solid rubbery sheet of burnt cheese. Right. So that moment is key. <laughs> Got to get right. it out of the oven. Love it. Well, thank you so much for your time. Awesome. For <laughs> awesome content. Yeah. And I will see you on LinkedIn. All right. See you around. All right. Bye-bye.